Good morning. Good morning, Cornerstone. It's good to see you here on this gorgeous Sunday. Um, Eugene is out of town, and so uh, I'm up here. If you're just visiting, um, you, Pastor Eugene is our, our usual preacher. Um, my name is Dan, and I'll be sharing the message with you today. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. If you haven't been with us, what you don't know is that we've been doing a series in Ephesians. And uh, today we're on chapter 4, and we're just continuing right where we left off last week. Um, so Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be going through verses 1 through 16 today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And if you don't have your Bible, um, you can follow up with us right here on the screen. So Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, this is Paul speaking, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by the every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray for us before we continue. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we take a moment this morning to look at your word, to see what you have revealed to your people through your Holy Scripture. We pray that every word spoken and every word heard today would be anointed in your presence, Lord, by your Spirit, that these words would be a message of conviction, a challenge, God. They They would be truth spoken into our lives. God, that your Scripture would be the foundation of our lives, God. Be with us at this time, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, we've been doing this series in Ephesians, and right here in chapter 4, it's, it's the pivot point. Um, it's where the first, first half of Ephesians is transitioning into the second half. Right? And it's six chapters, so uh, it's right in the middle. Good balanced uh, uh, message by Paul here. But to see that it starts right with I, therefore. Right? And so this is where he transitions into everything that we are in the first three chapters to how do we respond to that? And I want to take a look at that, a prisoner for the Lord. 
Why does he mention this again? He mentioned this in chapter 3, and he mentions it again in chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. I think it's one thing to say, for someone to say something when they're at the top and everything seems to be working out. And it's another thing for them to say something when they're seemingly lost everything because of what they've lived for. If you look, I don't know, like a drug addict, at the top of their game when they're loving drugs, they're probably thinking, this is the best choice I've ever made. But when it ruins things and when they lose everything, what do they say? Is it still a matter of, this is the best choice that I made? Or do they say, yeah, it wasn't worth it? And at that point, you can see in hindsight or even at that moment, what is what was the value of what you've invested in, of what you spent your time doing? And for Paul, he was someone who, as we read in chapters before, who totally invested in the mission of Christ and loving Christ, doing what he felt like God was calling him to. And so he states again, I'm in the state where I've lost everything because of what God has called me to. And I'm going to urge you to do the same. In his moment of losing everything, he says, this, there's nothing of greater worth. This is what we should live for. And so he continues, so I urge you, I plead, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so the rest of everything of the rest of Ephesians is going to unveil this. What does that mean? The first thing to understand in this is to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The first thing to understand is what, how much value is the calling to which you have been called. Have you ever had someone respond to something in a way that you didn't expect? You expected one kind of response, but you got a different one? Kind of like in Hitch, when uh, he reveals the name, and instead of celebrating, wow, you found the name of my grand, great, great, great grandfather's book, she kind of gives this, I, I can't do <laughs> right? She like, she makes this weird sound, and Hitch just kind of like, okay, what? It wasn't the response he expected. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but... Sometimes it happens, right? What is the proper response to what Christ has done in our lives? And that's the urge. Paul is saying, Christ has done everything that we've described in chapters 1 through 3, so we need to respond in a way that's worthy of that calling. So what I'm going to do is take a moment and just recap 1 through 3. Well, what has Christ called us into? I remember talking with some friends about sin and what sin is in our lives. And the particular topic that we were talking about was actually sexual sin um, and how sexual sin has such a strong grip on people's lives. You could take your pick of sin. This conversation was about sexual sin. Without Jesus, these sins, as our conversation led, what, what greater joy do we find than in sin, honestly? Right? Why is sin such a problem? Because it's, it's this illusion that it, it provides what we want. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we would all just be stuck in that. 
How, why on earth would we escape from what we see as the greatest pursuit in life, as what is the most fulfilling thing in life? There's no reason to leave that. There's no reason to pursue something else. And if Christianity for you is something about not sinning, then you've really missed the point. Most people who don't go to church will probably see it as that because for a lot of people we've portrayed it that way. But it's not just about not sinning, it's that God has given us something greater than all the sin that we've ever known could ever give us, Jesus Christ. We've been talking about what God has called us into. This very opportunity on this earth is such a measure of grace. When Adam fell, when, when Adam fell representing all of creation, Naturally, if we were born after that, we would be born in the consequence of that sin. And as he sinned, he should have been just separated completely from God. And that's hell. Separation from God, completely hell. That's where we should, would have been born into had life continued to go on and we were, I don't know if there's still births. I don't know how it would have happened. It didn't happen. I can't explain it. But if we had continued, that's where we would have been born. That's just where we would have ended up in hell. Just the nature of this earth and that God gives us an opportunity to be redeemed is a measure of grace. I know this earth is fallen, but this is a measure of grace. And then he provides within this an opportunity through Jesus Christ to be restored unto him. He's taken our eternal trajectory and totally spun it the other way. From the beginning of time, he saw this. He saw me before he created things. He saw every single person out here. He said, I, I know Dan is going to come way later, sometime around when that stupid, catchy song, Call Me Maybe, is going to be out. He'll be alive during that time, and I see him, and I love him, and he will walk with me, and he will know me, and I will be his God. Everybody in here, calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. You were seen from the beginning of time. And God has loved you since then. And so he sends Jesus Christ to take us out of a situation which we had no hope. To say that we were dead, there was no way of getting out of this. Why would we choose anything other than sin? We have that opportunity, and God has called us out of that to know something greater than the pursuits of this world, to know Jesus Christ and the immense riches in him, to have an eternal inheritance, to have peace, joy. He has called us to something amazing, and that's the first thing we need to know. To live a life worthy of the calling, we need to understand that the calling is great. He has called us to something probably greater than anything we could ever give. And that's what he explains in the first three chapters, what we have been called into. And so we need to live a life worthy of that calling. I was listening to a Francis Chan message, and he had this, this time in his life where he uh, went just exploring kind of the mission field and just hanging out with missionaries because he had heard so many stories about crazy things, so he was just out there, and he's like, I need to spend time with these people. We 
we've never been through these things, but I mean, the stories that are out there. The, he's, he went to Thailand, to India, to China, where there's heavy persecution. So one lady was talking about when she accepted Christ, the whole village came to her and they had lizards and, and heads cut off on the lizards and said, you need to drink this blood from all the lizards in order to be restored into Hinduism. And so they took her, her and her husband, just grabbed their Bible and they just ran. And since then, her testimony is how God has been providing in their life. 11-year-old boy accepts Christ. His father throws his stuff on the street and says, I don't know you anymore. You're not my son. Get out of here. What does an 11-year-old boy do? For him, he grabbed his Bible, a few essential things, took off. A manner worthy of the gospel. What is worth in the Old Testament? Or in these days, how do they determine worth? It's kind of like those scales, right? The scales that show the weight of something. Right? If you have a bag of gold, you put the bag of gold on one side of the scale and then you put weights on the other side. And how much is this bag of gold worth? About five pounds of gold. Whatever balances the scale. Right? So if we're talking about worth here, if you put the gospel on one side of the scale and then your life on the other side of the scale... What, what, is, what kind of worth does our lives carry in relation to the gospel? Are we living a life worthy of the gospel? That's what this calling is. And so everything, in light of everything that Christ has done, live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I think we see glimpses of this, what we see in our lives. I, I know I believe that God says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. He'll take care of everything, but I don't live in that. God says, he is peace, he is joy, but I don't find my peace in him. In our lives, how much worth do we give God? And the only worth that might be comparable to the worth of the gospel is a life that shows that God is everything. It's everything. We forsake everything. There's nothing of value compared to who Christ is. But we value a lot of things in life, don't we? We give a lot of value in our decisions and the way we choose to live. And you can look on what you did yesterday. Was Christ the most valuable thing in your life? Yeah, you take your pick of, of your days, of your weeks, of your months. Have we been living in a life worthy of the manner in which we've been called? And so this is going to set up the rest. And so we're going to continue here, and, and he's going to show us how to do that. Explain to us a little bit how to do that. So we'll continue in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Now, I was thinking about this message, and this could, this could have easily been spun into a very missional message. And I think part of this, what to draw out from this, is that aspect of missions, of going out and spreading that this message is for the church, this message is for outside of the church. And, and I'm just going to point out that, because that's not going to be the main point of what we're saying, but I do want to draw that out and help us see that. But all this one faith, one Lord, one baptism... If you extend that thought out, you see 
Romans 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord, there is one Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all. There is one baptism between Jew and Greek. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how is this a missional point? How then will they call on him in him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So this message is for the church and it's for outside the church. It's for everybody. So I just want to point that out so we can see that. But we'll continue in this, in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. It's a quote from Psalm. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And just to mention in this parenthesis, Paul has a lot of, he's a smart man, he has a lot of thoughts. And so he goes into this kind of, this little bit of a tangent off his thought. Now, just to draw this out a little bit, but what does it mean that he descended into the lower regions? There's a couple of different thoughts on that. One is that maybe this talking about what he descended into um, Hades, hell, uh, when he was crucified, and that's where he went and then he ascended. That's one thing people say. Another thing they say is that during Pentecost, the Lord ascended and tongues of fire and, and, and people were speaking in different tongues and languages. And then Holy Spirit, in that moment, that Pentecost, he left and went up and he ascended back up. But the most uh, accepted line of logic is simply the incarnation, Jesus Christ. He came onto earth, he descended onto the earth, and then he ascended into heaven. Point being, the main point is that he ascended back up so that he could fill all things. Jesus went up so that he could send the Holy Spirit to fill all things, and we would do things in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so here's where we go. The, letter, the last few verses of this, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now notice it doesn't say he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the pastors for the work of ministry. To equip the saints. And who are the saints? It's not just Saint Mary, Saint Thomas, and Saint Aaron. I don't know. It's not all just saints' names. It's we are the saints as the church. Everybody who has been redeemed and cleansed in the name of Jesus Christ is a saint. And so to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We have so many people, oftentimes at Cornerstone, who come up with these ideas, and they're great ideas. We should be doing this. We should be doing that. But as a staff, the, the, the reason people come up to us is to say, I have this idea that I think you should do, oftentimes. But it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the whole church can be doing ministry. Everybody is called to do ministry. And if the church can begin to run that way, then we can do far greater things than the four staff members at Cornerstone could ever do. If our whole church is involved in the work of ministry, 